This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews. And as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Yeah, not too bad, Dan. Not too bad. Um, interesting round, but uh, there were definitely some games worth talking about. <laughs> yeah, there was plenty going on. And uh, yeah, managed to get to the G as well to see Melbourne do their thing against Essendon. But in the process, I kind of lost my voice a little bit. So hopefully it holds <laughs> up through the recording today. <laughs> Jeez. That's commitment anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Try and uh, get it out of the, yeah, get it going, even without much of a voice. But it's not sounding too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I see how it goes. <laughs> All right, so we've got a little bit of a different format today. So in place of match of the round, we're going to have a go at questions that matter. So we've got... Six questions that we've picked out here from the round uh, from a variety of different games and uh, going to work our way through these and try and make some sense of it. So the first one is, were Brisbane really that good or did Geelong just phone it in? And of course, this is in reference to the 54-point win that Brisbane had over Geelong at the Gabba. 29 scoring shots to 15. It was an absolute domination. So was it Brisbane being awesome, or were Geelong just really poor here, Jay? Well, first of all, Brisbane were pretty awesome. Um, some of the highlights in that game, especially from Charlie Cameron, and uh, did you see some of Daniel Rich's kicks? I mean, they're, they're some of the best drop punts I've seen this year like, in terms of passes. Um, they played some really good footy. Like, don't take anything away from them, but I can't help but look at the elephant in the room on this with Geelong. I do think they're there was an element of phoning it in. Um, you just look at their, their last three weeks. I mean, they go, I think it was the Thursday night, they go to Adelaide Oval, play top, I think Port was a then top four team. Uh, really high octane game, big shootout. They end up winning it. Come back to Geelong the next week to take on another top four team and an elite side, the Dogs. Game goes down to the last kick, They but they take the chocolates. And if that wasn't enough, Six days later, they then have to travel to Brisbane to take on another top four team. So I do think they caught up with them in the end. And yeah, they looked they looked just real fatigued, real fatigued. Just a bit of a letdown. Yeah, I guess it's hard to stay up for that long, isn't it? So Melbourne had those really good wins over the Bulldogs and Brisbane in successive weeks. And then they kind of had the letdown before the bye against Collingwood. So I guess it is hard for teams to stay at that really high level for a long time. Mm. So you probably see a bit more of that sort of stuff at this time of the year. So probably not too worrying for a Geelong supporter. But uh, yeah, I guess everyone had been talking them up for quite a while. And, you know, there's no team that is uh, impenetrable or, you know, it always, you always have to turn up. And if you're not going to turn up, then you're going to get beaten by even average sides, but especially someone as good as Brisbane. An interesting stat. I did find out yesterday was um, the Cats have been pretty good uh, defending turnovers and not conceding too many points on turnovers. I think they average around about 40. And in that game, uh, they actually conceded 68 points on turnovers. Yeah, so getting absolutely thrashed on turnover. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, the, the two things jump out there is that they, you know, maybe with fatigue, there were some skill errors that caused the turnovers in the first place. And, I know Brisbane's pressure was right up as well. That probably contributed oh, yeah. to it a bit. Yep, absolutely. But um, also maybe with the fatigue that, that had set in, not so good at defending in transition. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that link there. Mm. So a couple of other stats that I found interesting, just how ineffective Geelong was. They had plenty of the ball. They had uh, more possessions, only five less inside 50s. And they also won the contested possession and clearance as well. But they conceded uh, 17 marks inside 50 to nine. So, yeah, just I guess they were really breaking down going forward. And uh, the three big forwards, Tomahawk, Jeremy Cameron, and Gary Rowan really didn't have much of an impact at all after, you know, setting it, it all up for them in the last few weeks. And they looked frustrated, I thought. I mean, they gave away a few silly 50s. They got, you know, they got stuck in a bit too much physically at times and um, just let that sort of the emotion get the better of them. They, they just, yeah, they, they, looked gr- they looked grumpy. That's what they looked. <laughs> <laughs> grumpy old men. Yeah, That's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, the tag that Geelong gets sometimes with having so many over 30, I suppose. <laughs> but I guess one thing it solidifies as well is you definitely don't want to be going to the Gabba to play a final if no. there's any other option. So No, uh, I think that's the one the one that you want to avoid, I reckon, if you're in the top four. For sure. All right, so that started out with a bit of a bang on Thursday night with that huge result there. But then on Friday night, there was a similarly shocking result with the Tigers only managing two goals for the whole game against the Saints, who brought it, many would say, for the first time this year to run out a comprehensive winners. So the question I have for you, Johnny, is where to for the two-goal Tigers? Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Um, like two goals, that's... I think it's their lowest score since about 1927 or something like that. Or lowest score at the G since then. I'm not not quite oh, sure. Okay, yeah, something yep. like that. Long time, yeah, anyway. very long time. But um, honestly, for Richmond, I think if you were a Richmond player, coach, fan, whatever, I think you just got to go into the one week at a time mode now. I mean, I'm not saying they can't win the flag, although it's looking more and more unlikely now. Um, it's probably not going to help projecting too much into the future, and so yeah, especially with some of the injuries that came out of it. I mean, I think. I've heard Noah Bolter got cleared of ACL damage, so that was pretty good. But I think he's got the syndesmosis, uh, yep, which will require surgery. Yeah, he'll be out for a bit of time yeah. anyway. Yeah, and um, Broad, same thing, syndesmosis. Um, I think uh, Vlosten got a bit of a knock in that game as well. He looked a bit proppy at at one point. So yeah, the injuries are just still yeah, piling up. Yeah, backline's just getting wiped out. So I think for Richmond, uh, it's yeah, you just can't look too far ahead. You, it's really just playing who's in front of you and trying to get the win and then resetting. So Gold Coast this Thursday, they just need to get a win. They're 7-7 seven and seven now, so probably to make the finals, you need 12 wins, so they need five of their last eight. And they still do have a pretty favourable draw. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I guess you can't take any win for granted ever, but definitely not at the moment where the wins are a little bit harder to come by for Richmond than in previous seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it's... It, it's teams that they're really they're pumping themselves up to play Richmond. I mean, they really are the hunted now. They really mm. are. Do you, do you think they've lost a little bit of that fear factor? I think they have. I think they have. I think the other teams have realised that they are just human in the end. And if they do bring that intensity, then they're in with a shot at least. And the thing with Richmond, it looked like they were just a little bit off at the start, and St Kilda were red hot and having a crack and. As we've said many times, that's the competition. You you, you lose five percent, yeah. Just you know, a team that's n- nowhere near as good as you can can be in with a shot. 
Yeah, I got some other interesting uh, stats here on Richmond. So they've actually lost four of their seven games at the MCG this season, which should be unthinkable in previous seasons where they've had such a good record for a long time. I think they won almost 20 in a row uh, at one point there. And also against top eight sides, they've only scored one win of their six games there. So that was against the Bulldogs, relying on a big second half. I think Martin was pretty influential that day as well. And against those top eight sides, their percentage is only 75. So most of those games haven't really been close. Mm. No, they've been comprehensive losses. So I guess, yeah, anyone still thinking that Richmond can win the flag, those two uh, yeah, performances there at the G and against top eight sides would be a bit of a worry. For sure. But I guess until they are knocked out, <laughs> until they've still got a pulse, so yep. we can't completely rule them out. But you give them I a think, shot. Yeah, I think even Richmond supporters would have to agree that this is probably the lowest point they've been since they started rising in 2017. This is yeah. as, as uh, you know, as difficult as it's been for them. And it's hard. I mean, after you've won three of four flags, I mean, to just to keep that up. You know, we were talking before about how hard it is to keep a winning streak up near the top of the ladder up. I mean, to to keep this success up after three flags is probably multiplied in terms of difficulty. Yeah, so I guess a lot of people were saying, you know, you know, they can win it from outside the top four, they can win four finals in a row. But looking at that, you know, top eight side record, you'd think that's pretty fanciful. And they're not going to make top four. We know that no, now. So no. it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, how this story ends, I guess. Some people like Kane Corns are already calling an end to the dynasty. And uh, if you were just using logic, you probably would say that is the case. But, you know, can't completely count them out yet. Yeah, I'm not sure if the the, the dynasty's completely done. Because I'd like to see what they do next year. Um, they, they might retool a little bit and have another crack. But it, it is definitely a fork in the road. For sure. All right, let's move on. So Freo had a very impressive win on the road against Collingwood. I think that game was played at Marvel Stadium. And yes. uh, yeah, so the question I have is, are Freo now the sleeper to make the top eight? No one's really been talking about them, but they're now just outside the eight on percentage. Uh, quite a lot of percentage, I think, that separates them and Richmond about 10%. But, you know, they're there. They're banking the wins when uh, people weren't really giving them a whole lot of credit. But, uh, yeah, Where, how do you see their top eight chances, Johnny? Well, you're absolutely right. No one is talking about them. No one ever talks about them. Um, but they just quietly go about their business. And, you know, they get their wins here and there. They got the all-important away win. Um, I think it was uh, I think it was Dermot Brereton who said when he was interviewing Justin Longmuir on Saturday that uh, Frio, quote, travelled as well as a barrel of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I quite like that one. <laughs> yes, not bad. Um, but, you know, they managed to get that monkey off the back for now. Um, so, next four games, or next five games, Carlton, Hawthorne, Geelong, Sydney, Richmond, there's a couple of winnable games there. And it definitely gives them at least a fighting chance. You know, there's no reason why they can't, in my opinion, there's no reason why Freo can't be right there in the thick of it. Yeah, absolutely. So they're on seven wins at the moment. With that poor percentage, they probably need another six wins, which is a lot to ask in the last eight rounds. But, 
if they could win six games from here, I think they would definitely make it. So uh, that's the challenge for them, I suppose. I think I think you're right. They definitely need the six. I think they might get away with five, but that low percentage it's going to hurt them in the end. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, so no, I think normally it does take twelve wins and like not a horrible percentage, like something over a hundred. And I think there's is ninety three at the moment. So I doubt they're going to get over a hundred. No, I don't think they'll get over 100. Um, but you never know. You never know. They might sneak in, get, you know, at night. There might be a 50 50 game where they manage to get the chocolates. And yeah, there's so, many, there's so much football to go. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess it's good, uh, you know, to see what Longmuir is doing. It's really it's good. working. He was getting a lot of credit last year, even when they weren't winning a whole heap of games. And, uh, I guess there was that whole thing going around with them being the most inaccurate team in the AFL and that sort of costing them games here and there. But it seems like they've got on top of at least some of the, their issues and uh, they can put sides away when they get the chance. And players like Fife to come back and um, really liking the emergence of some of these other youngsters. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying watching Liam Henry at the moment. I reckon he's a, he's a genuine star in the making. And Sean Darcy in the ruck. Is doing really some like nice Darcy. Things. Really like him. The way he moves, yeah, he moves well, kicks well. Yeah. All right, so Freo right in the race for the top eight, that's for sure. So there was another great game on the weekend, plenty of them. This one was that we're referencing here is between Port Adelaide and Sydney, top eight clash. And it was actually Sydney who hit the front in the last quarter after the, the last three goals. I think Franklin kind of caught fire here. But Port Adelaide managed to steady. So who was it that kicked that go-ahead goal for the power there, Johnny? Uh, it was none other than Sam Mays. Uh, and I'm loving the story of, of Sam Mays' Saturday on, um, in, in, as a whole. Uh, it basically, he played in the SANFL on the Saturday. Uh, had about 14 touches. You know, sort of nothing to write home about. Uh, but he ended up getting the call after the game to, that he to get down to Adelaide Oval and be the emergency sub. I'm not quite sure what happened to their, whoever was going to be the emergency uh, sub. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, he got the call to come down, drove down to Adelaide Oval, ended up putting on the, the vest, um, but he actually ended up coming on. And, I once again, this is bad, I know, but I can't remember who the injured player was that he replaced. But long story short, he came on and he ended up kicking that go-ahead goal and it was a good one. And um, I, I don't know any other time that this has happened. Can you think of anything, Dan? I know that there's been games where uh, a player might have come in as a last-minute sub, uh, a last-minute inclusion, maybe when they played in the VFL the day before. Yeah, uh, no, I've never heard yeah. it on the actual day. No, it's incredible. <laughs> I guess that's one of the new things that the sub rule kind of allows in a way. You wouldn't be expecting to play a full game, so you can probably get away with something like this yeah. a little bit more than you used to be able to. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So were you impressed by the power in that game? Yeah, look, I was. I was. They did what they had to do. Um, they easily could have been run over the top in that last quarter, especially when Buddy started heating up. So it's a uh, yeah. Look, it was it's a good win for them. Um, in terms of whether they would be uh, look, are they a genuine flag contender? I, I'd still like to see them maybe take another scalp or get just get another big win whether it's on the just a nice win on the road or a win over another top eight team at home something like that 
Uh, well, they'll have that big test against Melbourne, exactly. not next week, but the week after. Exactly. So I was just about to say, they'll two probably weeks be time. circling that one. Yeah. yeah, that's where we'll see just how good they are. And I don't think Sydney would have lost too many fans in that game either. Obviously, they've uh, been struggling a little more of recent times, but that was a really good performance on the road from them as well and could have easily won that game, managing to hit the front in the last quarter. Yep. All right, so another game. There was plenty of good games this weekend. Well, I think they were good games yeah. anyway. I think a few people were down on this game. I thought it was actually a pretty good game. Uh, at the G, Essen versus Melbourne Saturday night. The Plucky Bombers, they'd been in pretty good form and, uh, you know, Melbourne had to steady the ship a little bit after that loss to Collingwood. And, uh, yeah, the intensity was up the whole way. Nothing was easy. Melbourne managed to get their back half game going, especially in the second and third quarters, not allowing much transition at all. But, uh, yeah, I guess one thing that really stood out and people and commentators alike were jumping on Melbourne for their forward structure and or lack of forward options that had people asking, you know, is this forward line going to stand up in a big final or a big final series? So, yeah, the question I have here is just that. Does Melbourne have the forward line that will stand up in finals? Because I guess according to a lot of supporters, there was a fair bit of negativity around this, even though they won the game. And, uh, yeah, I guess... If you look at the Melbourne team, the forward line is still probably, you know, the one that is the most unsettled or at least the most likely to fall down under a lot of pressure. How do you say this one, Johnny? And also just in particular in reference to this game. Yep. Kicking so many points and uh, perhaps not having the best forward structure on the night. Yeah, well, look, first of all, what you said at the start, I actually somewhat agree. I don't think this was a, ba- a lot of people were calling this a snooze fest game. I don't definitely don't think it was a snooze fest. It didn't have the best skills on display. It didn't have high scoring in that. But I thought this was a real hard fought game where it was actually hard to break away and get clean possessions and uh, get clean looks at goal. So this was a this was definitely a a finals like game. I thought. Um, yeah, yeah, both teams were really bringing it defensively. Essendon was setting yeah. up really well defensively. It was actually forcing Melbourne to actually, you know, hit kicks on an angle or a yes. bit further out, and that's probably one reason they kicked so many points as well. When they were just kicking long, Essendon was so well set behind the ball. They were uh, with guys like Ridley. It was really difficult to get anything going there. So I think that was another thing. That I noticed. Yeah, coming did, out of that. didn't really get talked about enough, actually. That, um, and we didn't get a lot of great looks, sort of in general play. I think it was usually if we had a chance up close, it was usually like on the snap or something. But, um, but yeah, no, they did a good job. But back to the question, um, Melbourne's forward line—it's really hard to analyze, <laughs> I think. And um, to be honest, Dan, I don't know if I really know the answer to this right now. But, um. I don't think Melbourne does either. No, no. <laughs> I, I do worry that guys like T Mac, Tom McDonald, and um, and Bailey Fritch, they might struggle when they come up against some quality defenders in the finals. Uh, but you know, guys like Spargo, Alex Neil Bullen, they're great at doing their bit with chipping in with goals here and there. But I, I think their bread and butter is the forward fifty pressure and the the tackling pressure. It they can kick goals, but the first thing I think of with those guys is their ability to lock the ball in the 50. Cozzy's both, I think, but still quite young, a little bit erratic. Um, I just, gut feel, I'd love to just see one guy in there who's a natural goal kicker 
And, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Ben Brown just get another crack. Even Mitch Brown, because, <laughs> I don't know, he, he's a good set shot, I think. He kicks kicks quite well. Um, but I can also see this... I can also see Melbourne sticking with this mix going going down the stretch. Yeah. Um, By all reports, I think Ben Brown has done some sort of like mini preseason. So if they do bring him back, hopefully he'll be a little bit fitter and can do a little bit more defensive running. I know that's not really his thing, but just, uh, you know, helping out a little bit more in that aspect or at least trying to get to the right spot. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't get another go after this game in particular and the fact that he did kick five in the VFL. And I think if you're ever going to try him again, you'd probably do it now. So I'd be expecting him to come in. Yeah, I mean, eight games to go, you want to, you know, trial some things out now um and i just think it, it would be nice to just have that ace up the sleeve for those times when we are struggling to get that connection from midfield to yeah. forwards like in that first half and just occasionally a bit of a, a bank you know dump kick bang it in and have someone like brown who can contest um, yeah i did notice in that game as well like melbourne did lose their structure in front of the ball quite a few times yeah. especially in that first half so and even when they did have players in the 50, often they were kicking long to one of the smaller players. So yeah. it just didn't look quite right. Yeah, exactly. And it, it it's a strange one because um, it felt like at times we weren't getting connection between the mids and the forwards. But we actually had 14 marks inside 50. And <laughs> it's, yeah, like it does sort of make you think it wasn't, maybe all that bad. I mean, there, there were yeah. some good passes from Petrarca and I think there's one good one from Oliver I can think of right now. I think it was a combination of factors, kind of already Definitely. talked about it a bit, but I think Essendon did force Melbourne to do something a bit different, just yep. how yep. well they were setting up. And uh, I guess Melbourne weren't... They're just not... One thing is, I don't think Melbourne has that many players that are good at taking long shots for goal. Most no. of our players can't kick a 50-metre goal. The only guys that kind of trust from that distance... Uh, Petrarca yeah. to make the distance for sure. Sparrow, I think, is a really nice long kick, and probably Brayshaw. Yeah. Those are probably the three who I would be happy to have taking a fifty meter shot. Most of the other guys, Fritch can, three out of four Fritch times, can get aren't going to make the distance. Lift, but um, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, maybe not. Like, maybe Fritch not isn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is a bit of a problem, especially you know you don't always get your shots thirty forty out. So just that extra five or ten meters can actually make a big difference. So it'll be interesting to see whether that comes up again. And you can say what you want about Ben Brown or people in the media or whatever can say what they want. But, um, you know, when he plays, he does he does kick goals. He's a long kick as well. Yeah. In general, he, he used to be at least. <laughs> yeah, no, he gets power behind it. All right, just to finish off this bit of conversation, I know we're saying there are a few problems here for Melbourne, but I just want to back this up by saying that it kind of has worked against the top eight sides that they've played throughout the season, which is kind of why they've won all those games. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back and had a quick look at who kicked most of the goals in these games. So I'll just quickly go through this now. So Fritch, four goals against Geelong. Tom McDonald, three against Richmond. Against Sydney, it was T-Mac with four and Ben Brown chiming in with three. Western Bulldogs, Fritch and T-Mac both kicked three. And then against Brisbane... T-Mac and Pickett with three apiece. So they're getting plenty of good contributions mm. from, you know, Fritsch, uh, uh, T-Mac, and to a lesser extent, Pickett there. But I guess one thing looking at that list to me is T-Mac is 
there a lot. So mm. it wasn't too bad on the weekend, but I think as an opposition team, if you can control Tom McDonald's output, you're going to go a long way to limiting Melbourne's scoring. Yep. At least... Um, and even when he's not kicking goals himself, he's a really good connector around half forward. So, yeah. and he'll often sort of you know wheel around and get it moving pretty quick. So yeah, he works hard to get up the ground as well. Yeah, so I think he's definitely the key from Melbourne's point of view, at least in the way the forward lines functioning at the moment. So if you can, as an opposition team, keep Tom McDonald quiet, then uh, that would be a good start to beating Melbourne. Yeah, look, I think it's it's more um, just. Having, yeah, like I said, having that ace up the sleeve, things have worked quite well so far, but you just, you want to have that other dimension just in case. And yep. yeah. I think Tom McDonald's been a little bit off the last few weeks as well. Yep. I think he, his wife had their second child perhaps, so might be a fair bit going on uh, with that. So hopefully yeah. that all evens out and he can find a little bit of form. Yeah, yeah, the lockdown wouldn't have helped, I guess. No, but... Uh, yeah, from experience, the first five or six weeks with a newborn are probably the hardest. So yeah, right. probably get a little bit easier after that. But uh, yeah, yeah we'll it's... see if he gets if he's tracking with that. You wouldn't expect his form to get too much better in the first in the next three yeah. weeks. So if you sleep we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of waking up. All right, last one of these uh, questions that matter. So how did West Coast get beaten so badly? on their home deck against the Bulldogs. So they conceded 33 scoring shots. The margin should have been a lot bigger than I think the 40 or so points it was. And they only managed to generate 13 scoring shots themselves. So what happened? They were really expected to do pretty well in this game and they just were nowhere near it. Yeah, I first would like to say I was a total sucker for this game in a lot of people, a lot of friends that were saying, oh, you know, change your tip to West Coast or if you, did, if you didn't tip them already, look at the ins they've got. Oh, it's at Optus Stadium. Oh, this is the, – the money was coming in for them in the betting. Oh, just get on them. And I was a sucker for that. I tipped them and I'm really regretting that. I'm not going to listen to anyone anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but look, anyway. Um, and that – I the first thing I thought when those names were coming in, it was great, but I just the first thing I thought was those guys haven't played much footy. Like, yeah. it's – yeah, it takes a few games really, and and that was a that was yeah, it was a rookie mistake for me. But um, this game, the margin wasn't as big, but this game really reminded me a lot of that one they had in Geelong a few maybe a month oh, ago. Oh yeah, that was uh, awful. It just it just seemed like they didn't put up much of a whimper at all in terms of um, desire and and heart and that. I mean, the Bulldogs they're just full of heart. <laughs> but um, I just felt West Coast they just yeah, that they really seem to to lack that that desire, and um, the dogs really just um, th- th- they really bossed it in the midfield a lot. I mean, looking at some, one of the guys who came back, Tim Kelly, uh, I saw him go to Jackson McRae at the start of the game, and I just thought, yeah, um, it's gonna be a big day for Tim today. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because McRae did his usual thing of thirty plus yep. possessions, and you know the die was cast pretty early. Um, but the dogs knew, in my opinion, the dogs knew they could outwork the Eagles midfield, and they did. Yeah, I think this is almost a perfect game for the Bulldogs. West Coast, I think, are the lowest-ranked pressure team in the AFL, and 
we've seen what Bulldogs do against the lower-ranked sides who don't put as much pressure on. They really beat up on them. So they're almost the kings of the low-pressure game, just how skillful they are and how deep they are through the midfield. So they had 60% inside 50 efficiency. They won the clearances by 14 and the contested possession by 30. It was an absolute smacking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a so, smacking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother was actually asking me who he should tip looking at this game. And I think the main thing I said was, you know, Bulldogs probably aren't going to lose two in a row. They had that really tight one against Geelong and, you know, they want to bounce back. And obviously it wasn't going to be an easy game against the Eagles over in WA and especially after having a quarantine. Mm. But I think what this shows is they're just clearly a better side than the Eagles. Definitely. Definitely. And they, you know, Nick Nat obviously won the hit-outs, but the dogs just roved to him. You know, they did the old sharking and worked harder at the ground level. Was, yeah, they, they really they really taught him a lesson in the middle of the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one area that West Coast has struggled a little bit throughout the year. And I guess they get a couple of guys back and they need a bit of continuity there. But even when those guys have been fully fit, there's still been these periods in games where they just completely go missing. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess they'll still probably find a way to scrape into the eight, but I wouldn't be expecting them to do too much in the finals. No, no, neither, neither. I do have one question for you, Dan. Mm-hmm. Hypothetical. You have to choose one. Aaron Norton or Oscar Allen? Well, I don't know. They're both, you know, sort of like your prototype forwards, both very tall. I guess Norton, you know, he started as a back, so he's not, the most natural forward, but he's probably got the best hands of almost anyone at the moment. I don't know who it was. I think I heard someone comparing him to a young Wayne Carey. Yeah. So, <laughs> and his goal kicking is getting better getting as well. Better. It's getting better. So, yeah, I think I'd probably have to go with Norton at this stage, although Oscar Allen is doing some great things as well and uh, he's developing quite early for a big man. Yep. Who, who would you take? Oh, look, this one's an absolute coin flip for me as well. I- it's very hard to split him. I'd be very happy with either of them, but I'm also just going to go with Norton um, because, yeah, yeah, I just think that he's maybe just a little bit more versatile, can sort of play down back a little bit if he needs to. And, yeah, yeah, got to love those hands. He's a one-grab player. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he keeps his eye on the ball as well in contests. Like, he's one of those guys he just – it sounds so cliche, oh, you got to keep your eye on the ball, but it's quite easy not to in a contest. Um He's just always fixated on it. For sure. All right, so the next thing we're going to have a go at in this episode is actually looking at, for each of the premiership contenders, what a possible missing piece might be. Well, not necessarily missing piece, but who could you add from one of the bottom eight teams to actually put this team over the top and give them the best chance to win the premiership? So I guess you could think of that as like the missing piece. So... I guess part of this might be, you know, thinking about where a team might have a relative weakness. A lot of these teams are very good, obviously, so there's not too many weaknesses. But what sort of player could actually, you know, give them the edge over some of their uh, top eight uh, combatants going into the finals here? So there's a couple of rules for this. So both Johnny and I have picked some players from the uh, contenders we've got here. So those contenders are Melbourne, the Western Bulldogs, Brisbane, Port and Geelong, the top five on the ladder, and we're still including Richmond on this list as well. 
and uh, the rules are pretty simple. No Toby Green, <laughs> because I think you could probably say Toby Green for every team. Yep. He's just that versatile forward who can play small, can play as sort of a marking forward as well. So it would be pretty boring if, uh, you know, just put Toby Green for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so no Toby Green. And also you can only choose one player uh, once. So once you've chosen a player, can't be picked again. So let's get started. Uh, we'll go to the top of the ladder with Melbourne. So who are you going to draft in in our uh, fantasy draft here, Johnny, to help the Ds? Yeah, yeah. Um, this, yeah, there were, there were a couple. There were a couple, but I have, I have gone with Zach Merritt, especially after the game he played on Saturday night. I just think I love his ball use. He's a stunning kick. I just reckon... He would be the polish. That if there's any polish from our midfield lacking, he'd be that polish. And, yeah, he'd really help with the connection with the mids and the forwards. So, yep, there was a close second, but I'll see what uh, your choice is first uh, before I possibly reveal that. Yeah, we both watched the same game on Saturday night, Johnny. I'm drinking the Zach Merritt Kool-Aid nice. as well. So, <laughs> got, got the same one there. Yeah, I just think, as you said, just that one extra star, I think, would put Melbourne over the top, give them that little bit more polish and depth through the midfield. Petrarca could probably spend a little bit more time forward mm, as well. Yep. Although having Viney back in seems to allow him to spend a little bit more yep. time forward as well. But yeah, just that one extra really good ball user. Absolutely. Who was your close second? Uh, look, uh, I floated the idea of Tex just to, um, you know, nice sort of mobile forward kick straight. Uh, yeah, he, he, he could help. He could help. But Yeah, I was thinking about a big forward, but then I thought like, uh, looking through the teams, there weren't really too many like contested marking forwards in the bottom eight teams no. that are really good. And like I did think of Walker as well, but I see him probably more as a bit of a lead up forward. Exactly, and, exactly. But uh, yeah, Tex would be good as well, I think. But uh, yeah, interesting. We both went for merit there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> All right, so Z Merritt into Melbourne. What about the Bulldogs? Who are you drafting in there? Yeah, look, the Bulldogs. Yeah, it's very, very. It's it you know, needed a bit of thought, but I've gone with Darcy Moore for the Bulldogs. I think he would just shore up their back line a bit, good in the air, help with you know rebound fifties. I actually found out that the dogs are last in rebound fifties. So um. Oh wow. Yeah, that that might help him out just in that area. Um, yeah, Darcy Moore. Okay, I had pretty similar thinking here. I went for Weedering. Nice. So, yeah, just to try and shore up that back line a little bit. He's good in the one-on-one contest, but he can also take intercept marks as well. So, I guess for the Bulldogs, the back line is probably a relative weakness. If teams are able to get it in there enough, that usually does uh, put the strain on that slightly undersized back line. So, yeah, I think either uh, Wiedering or Moore would definitely shore up that defense a lot for the Bulldogs there. Yep. I guess it'll be interesting to see what they do in future years, whether they try and actually draft someone else in, or I guess they even talked about moving Bruce back, maybe if they can get one of their other young forwards coming in. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they will just go for someone from another team if they can get someone across. What do you reckon? I think that they'd probably go with the ready-made route for sure. Um, I was just randomly thinking off the top of my head. (laughs) Would they, could they use Jordan Ruffhead right now? 
if they could get him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they could do a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, he could definitely help out. He could help you win some games. But yeah, For sure. I think you're right. I think uh, you go down the pre- the ready-made path, I'd say. Yeah. Okay, next team we've got, third on the ladder, Brisbane Lions. So this was a bit of a tricky one for me because I don't think Brisbane have too many holes. Where did you go here? I was about to say the exact same thing. This was actually the hardest. Um, hard to see any weaknesses at all with Brisbane. They're pretty much just set all over the park. Um, but I went a little bit sort of uh, left field here. Uh, I've actually gone with Adam Saad. Um, yeah, okay. I just I thought that just the the the, the, um, the prospect of having Daniel Rich ball use off one halfback fling and Adam Saad's run and carry off another. Uh, it just sounded like a real mouth-watering prospect. So maybe just the one player that could add something different to that team. Uh, yeah. A little bit more run and carry yeah. off that half-back line. Just, yeah. It'd be if, interesting if, to see. If one weapon doesn't get you, the other one will kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For Brisbane, I think uh, this is probably, you know, the Essendon Melbourne goggles talking a little bit maybe, but I just thought, Darcy Parrish in the midfield for them would be great. So just give them another mm. proven clearance winner. Uh, they've already got a really nice mix through the midfield, but like most teams, they do have stages where, you know, they'll go a while without winning a clearance. So I guess, you know, they're relying on Neil when he's yeah. fit for a lot of their clearances. And there is a little bit of a drop-off in their clearance winners when Neil is being held well. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think someone like Parrish could definitely help them, who uh, seems to be racking out the clearances this year. Yeah, no, that's a good choice. All right, fourth on the ladder is Port Adelaide. So they jumped up after that win over Sydney. What do they need? Who are we drafting in for the power here? Um, well, I just need to um, recap the rules. Are we allowed to use a player that the other person has chosen? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Because you <laughs> wouldn't, not, you wouldn't have known. If not, then I'll, I'll do something else. But um, no, 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 that's fine. I actually thought Port could use another decent key back, and I had Jacob Wiedering. Um, I don't mind McKenzie, but I just, I still think he's, he's still a little bit of needs a little bit more time. But I did have Wiedering. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I can say my backup after yours <laughs> if if you would like to hear. But uh, we don't also don't. Yeah, no, it's all good. At it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I guess for you, they just need... They are a little bit undersized in defense as well, similar yeah. to the dogs, aren't they? So just that one more big defender to handle some of the monsters from other teams could definitely help Port out. Yeah, so for me, I saw their biggest weakness as the midfield. Just I guess that's where they've been beaten up by some of the sides in the top eight, getting on top of them through the midfield especially when, you know, Wines and Boak aren't having their normal output. So I went to the St Kilda captain, Jack mm. Steele. Yeah, I like it. Bolsters the midfield, uh, you know, he's all heart, Jack Steele, and he's got a bit of polish there as well. So I think he'll be giving everything he had for has for whatever team he's playing for, and I think that's definitely the type of player that uh, the Port guys would uh, rally around and uh, could give them that extra edge through the midfield, which... Perhaps sometimes they're lacking. Yeah, I really like that one. 
So who did you have as your second uh, pick there? Look, um, <laughs> I thought if it wasn't going to be forwards, I thought maybe Charlie Dixon could use a bit of help in term, in the big man contested department. So I actually went Harry Mackay. Ah, yeah, I did consider Mackay maybe for Melbourne, but then I thought again, yeah. a bit more of a lead up forward. But I think he can take a pretty decent contested yeah. mark, can't he? He's up there. He's up there. I, th- I think he's about maybe fourth on the contested marks this year. Uh, I guess his one yeah. relative weakness at the moment is the set shot from about 30. It yeah. does seem to be struggling, but yep, more accurate good. on the snap or from further out. It seems to be yes. Taylor tape at the moment. That's it. That's it. All right, so maybe that doesn't bode well for Port because we've gone forward line, back line, yeah. and midfield through yeah. all that. So <laughs> <laughs> They've got most bases covered, I suppose. Yeah, but, sure. yeah, when when they come up against the really strong sides... There's still a few areas that they can get exposed, I suppose. They've got some home run hitters, but then they've got a few holes. Absolutely. All right. Fifth on the list, Geelong. So they dropped down the ladder a little bit after that loss to Brisbane. Who are we drafting in for the Cats here, Johnny? One word. Ruckman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've talked many times about Geelong's weakness in the ruck and... I think, you know, people have been talking about this for five years, probably even longer. So, who yeah. did you choose? I had two guys, and look, don't have to reveal the other one. I can just take my one shot. But um, I I went with Brody Grundy in the end. I just think good skills, runs well, gets possessions around the ground. I think he would probably suit them the best. Uh, the other guy I thought would suit him well too. But look, I'm, go- I'm going with Grundy. Okay, Grundy. I also went for Ruckman, no surprise there. Uh, I know he's been injured a fair bit this year, but I think a fit and firing Rowan Marshall would uh, be fantastic for the Cats. So he's so athletic, he can do it all, the taps, the work around the ground. He can even kick a goal, probably still developing that side of his game, but he can just do things that a lot of Ruckman can't. So uh, yeah, if I'm going to draft in a Ruckman, why not get... uh, you know, one of the best up-and-coming ruckmen, I would say, in the competition. Yeah, and as you know by now, that that was definitely the one that I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I did also give a little bit of thought to Paddy Ryder. I just thought, you know, it's the way he For, Yeah, because we're only talking about the rest of the season, right? Yeah, yeah Ryder so, could help him a lot as well. Yeah, like he, he was in the mix too, but yeah, Marshall was absolutely the second choice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it'd be interesting to talk to some Geelong supporters I'm sure they would agree that they need a Ruckman, but who would they would actually want out of those three guys we've mentioned there? Yeah, we, we do have a few Geelong listeners. I know that for a fact. So, um, yeah, get on get on the email, footytimemail at gmail.com. Yep, that's it, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess they've tried to get Goldstein in the last couple of years, haven't they? But yeah. I guess for whatever reason that hasn't gone through. And that I think that would have helped them a lot if they were able to get Goldstein. Obviously, he's still... Getting a pretty good output. He is. It's funny, actually. It's the one area... Geelong usually sort of at the, at the trade period, they usually get their man. It's the one area that they haven't really been able to do that with, and I'm not quite sure why. It just has to be that they just haven't prioritised it enough, surely. Yeah. Like, if, they've, if they had really tried to get a Ruckman of quality, it, they would have been able to make it happen, I guess. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. And, you know, Stanley and Blitzavs do a serviceable job, but they can definitely be found out 
when the opposition has a really strong ruckman. But I don't know. There's just not really that many really strong ruckmen in the game at the yeah. moment. So I guess Message you're not going to get that hurt. Uh, you're not really going to get that hurt often by not having a uh, really strong ruckman. There's a lot of young ruckmen going around. All right, last on the list, Richmond's still hanging in there. They're still in eighth spot, so they're still a premiership contender on this list. Who did Richmond get, Johnny? Well, I went left field on Richmond as well because I just felt in their position, you know, it's just in the eight. Um, it, it's sort of like, to me, playing from behind, sometimes you got to take risks. And I, I had the same attitude towards the rest of the season for Richmond. So you got to take risks. Go with a real left field one here that, you know, could really pay off. I guarantee you, Dan, you do not have this guy in your <laughs> no, no, I have no idea where you're going with this one. I, I have chosen, <laughs> I have chosen, and I don't think I'm going to say, I never say his first name right, but uh, uh, Chang Jyoth Jyoth from Hawthorne. Ah, I'm going with yes. him because Richmond are bereft of defenders at the moment. He could easily learn their zone and also give them some brilliant dash off half back. Just be that line breaker and X factor unexpected um yeah yeah just I really like hole. it yeah you're right I, I would have never thought of that but I really like it good work yeah. there so yeah you mentioned earlier that you know some of the Richmond defenders have gone down and I think even before that like they are getting more exposed in defense this year so trying to get a little bit more drive out of that defense would definitely be good for Richmond um I'm kind of surprised that you didn't have this guy for any of your other picks, but I guess we haven't really focused too much on the midfield. But I can't leave Nat Fife on the shelf, surely. <laughs> yeah, we were definitely thinking about Nat, definitely. Um, but I found that a lot of these teams had pretty strong midfields. Uh, but, and look, he's not to say he's going to play most of the games up in the midfield, but um, yeah, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, when you think about it? Two Brownlows. Well, I managed to get him in for my last pick here for Richmond. So I think they're not quite getting the same impact now out of Cochin, Prestia, and even Martin. I think for whatever reason, combination of injuries and form, they've been a little bit down this year. So yeah, just getting in that Brownlow medalist, proven ball winner, um, commands attention. He's going to get the ball moving your way. He can do some really special things. So yeah, if they could, if they could get five in, then uh, maybe they could win four finals in a row. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe he's definitely a match winner. Um, but this is actually yeah, this is where I was considering maybe uh, yeah a Darcy Parish or yeah someone like a Steel even um, just to really help with that just that midfielder that can take the the midfield battle by the scruff of the neck, not necessarily the game because. They've got guys who can do that, like Martin and that, but uh, just the guy in the clinches who can sort of... They're not a massive contested ball team, uh, no. so someone who could help with that. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we managed to get through all the contenders there, and I think we've, we would def- they would definitely all be stronger teams with those picks we've made there. So obviously that most of these guys are... Uh, well off the table on long-term contracts. But yeah, it was a interesting experiment to sort of highlight where some of the relative weaknesses are for some of these teams and what they might be looking for in the draft. But uh, I think as we we're going through, you could kind of tell that a lot of the teams didn't really have 
that bigger gaps anyway. It was just more like the cherry on top for most of these teams. Yeah, the icing on the cake. <laughs> all right, well, that's all we've got time for today, guys. Uh, thanks again for jumping on the line, Johnny. Yeah, pleasure. And thanks to you guys as well for listening. So remember, we do have the second show coming out on the weekend, uh, previewing a little bit of the weekend's action, but mostly focusing on some true or falses that are quite interesting. So looking to one of those just as a way of uh, previewing that next show. Uh, The 2000 Bombers don't get enough credit for winning uh, one premiership between 1999 and 2001. So true or false there. So I guess, you know, a lot of people think that that's probably one of the best premiership sides of all time, but just the fact that they only got the one, do they get the credit they deserve? So we'll be having a bit of chat about that on the weekend show. So uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, Bye for now.